0: Not too long ago, my roommate hosted a get-together for the summer solstice. I was there, and one of her friends from high school was there. We were the outliers, though, because everyone else was part of a big friend group that hung out together often. I was in shock as I was sitting there in our backyard eating pesto peach chicken. This has never been how my friend groups are i'm telling you there were like 10 people there who knew each other well enough to not have to be clued in on old details about each other's lives it was mind blowing and y'all i i certainly have friends and my friends hang out with each other when i host events but a gathering of all my friends would never ever be as connected as this was. I tend to hang out mostly with individual people. A good number of my closest friends are friendly towards but are not friends with each other. I have a few small clusters of three or four people, myself included, that also sometimes overlap and sometimes don't. And it's been this way where most of my friendships are individual people for as long as i can remember it made me question lots of things like are most friendships out there these solidified groups that do most things together or are more friend configurations simply a collection of people from different places that you've kept all these years but never brought together as one big group. I wanted to know if certain friend compositions, specifically how connected or clustered friends are, impact the type of friendship you receive, right? Because there are obviously some differences between the friendshipping I saw at the Solstice Soiree and the friendshipping that happens when I have people over for my birthday. But I'd like to know if these variations actually make an impact on the way that friendship plays out. Like a lot of questions that I have, this cannot be answered in one podcast episode. So today, I am really focusing on what has been studied in reference to friend networks. This includes defining what I mean by a network understanding how relational ties influence each other, and starting to investigate how different network shapes may influence us. Well before I began researching this topic, I had some preconceived ideas. On one hand, I am a millennial introvert, who struggles to feel anything but trepidation when I'm asked to go to a networking event. On the other hand, I think that people coming together is the way that we move through the world. You know, in the realm of pop science, I had heard of Dunbar's Number, which is the theory that human brains have enough brain space to file information for 150 people. I also knew about the idea of six degrees of separation, which was popularized by Milgram, that suggests we are only an average of six people away to anyone else on the planet. I had often heard mention of these ideas during conversations about social capital. I was academically trained in the study of community organizing, where creating networks of close friends and known acquaintances was at the root for creating social change. One of the most influential texts in my field is a book called Bowling Alone. It is academically dense, so it may not be a beach read for any of us. However, the way that Putnam dives in to human connection and its impact on our communities and its politics and its workplaces made me think about networking a bit differently. Because yes, in a lot of popular self-help aspirational media, networking and social capital are often cited as tools to get ahead. But being within a network can be more latent than that. The connection we have to others acts on us just as much as we can choose to act on it. So first things first, how are networks organized? What I want you to picture right now is a web or a mind map. Imagine different nodes which are people, connected by lines. Some people may be connected to a lot of folks, and some people may be barely connected to anyone at all. We could grab a piece of paper and and put our names in the middle, and then we could plot out our friends. We'd connect our friends who are friends with each other. We could even plot who we know because they are in friendships with our friends. Once nicely organized, we'd be able to see the shape of our friendships. In a study, researcher McCabe made graphs like this for 67 university students and found that they generally came away with one of three different shapes. She names one style the tight knitters because the majority of students' friends were friends with each other. While there may be outliers here and there, or stronger connections among a small cluster of people, the graph generally looked like a wound-up ball of yarn. Lines densely crisscrossed between so many of the nodes on the graph. A second style she found was one where students compartmentalized their friendship groups into two or three smaller clusters. The clusters themselves would be wound up within each other, but the clusters did not connect or overlap. Often, the clusters were compartmentalized based on geographic location or shared activities. Then, she named the third style samplers. These were the folks who had almost no clustering, if any at all. The graphs looked more like spokes on a wheel, where perhaps only a few friends here and there were in relationship with one another. But generally, friendships were individual. The shape of these friendship groupings was what I had been noticing at this dinner party. My roommate may have a network that looks more like the tight knitter graph, while mine might be closer to a sampler style. Okay. But obviously, there is more that goes into the composition of groups than just how the connections look when roughly sketched out. By diving deeper into the strength of those ties and people's positioning within the network, we get a clearer picture of how our friend groups are actually structured. Let's first think about the direction of the connection. This, in a lot of ways, is a question of mutuality. Now, if we were scientists doing a full-on study of our friend group, we'd have an outside researcher survey everyone in our network and ask who they felt connected to. If Harry, for instance, said that he was connected to Zane, but Zane did not mention Harry, then we'd have a tie between those nodes in our network that is one-directional. Stronger networks are going to happen when connections are reciprocal. The directions of connections can be drawn on your friend graph using arrows on the lines that connect two people. Next, let's think about the strength of the tie. This could be measured with personal descriptions such as we are best friends or we are only acquaintances. It could also be determined using other metrics, like the frequency of our interactions or the amount of vulnerability in our conversations. I may have a best friend who I will love forever, but hardly talk to versus a friend that I party with every weekend. And so on a graph, the second friend, the every weekend friend, may have a stronger tie with me. We can also use strength as a measure to identify weaker ties between people within the network. To depict strong and weak ties, connecting lines are often drawn thicker or thinner, respectively. And here's the thing, as fun and overwhelming as it is to draw out our friendship connections, whatever they may be, identifying the shape, direction, and strength of the network is only the start. You're listening to Friendship Matters. If you haven't caught on by now, there are very few times that I'm going to offer a right way to do friendship. Today is no different. What you want or need in a healthy relationship is going to be based on your personal values and your friendships themselves. That said, I think that graphing out your friendship network and analyzing some of the information it tells you can be helpful in figuring out what you want to keep and what you may want to change. Let's consider what we already have graphed, which is the people, the direction of those ties, who is connected, and the strength of these connections. Is there anything you want to change about the people you are connected to? This could be ending some relationships or working towards better reciprocity within them or adding more people to your network. And just as much as this graph will show you who is connected, it will also show you where there are holes or a lack of connection. Do you want to make any changes between those unconnected nodes? As I already mentioned, when I look at the graph of my friendships, the shape is very much that of the sampler. I have maybe two tiny friend groups, but otherwise my friends are not friends with each other. The thing I really like about the shape of my friendships is how many different people from different parts of my life I feel deeply connected with. My relationships are very niche, and so I can talk about hyper-specific things with particular individuals. I also personally feel more connected to people when I interact with them one-on-one. So in a lot of ways, this graph confirms that I like the friendship setup that I have. However, it also highlights some of the things that I worry about. For instance, there are four people that I plotted on my network as having weak ties with me. These are people who I don't talk with often and who maybe don't come to top of mind when I think of who my friends are. Some are people that I've had a history with, but less of a present with. And yet, they are people whose friendship is invaluable to me. And so it is a relationship that I would like to strengthen for the future. Another thing I thought about while looking at this was how minimally connected so many of my friends are to each other. A symptom of my anxiety is disaster planning. I think that were I to go to the hospital or need a meal train, my strongest connections would know how to contact my parents and how to contact each other. But a lot of my friends would be left in the dark. The anxiety part comes up when I think about being dead and certain friends never finding out because not everyone on my network knows how to reach each other. When I think about this through a lens of social capital, it means that my network cannot easily connect to offer support, help, or influence. So then it is on me if this is something that is important enough that I want to change To find ways to meet my needs where crisis to happen. Of course, I can only ever be in charge of myself and the relationships I choose to make. So while a strategy could be to create more convenings of my friends that would allow their own connections to grow with each other, that outcome is largely out of my control. On the other hand, something that might be more in my control is giving my three strong connections a contact list for who I want them to reach out to if I am ever in a position that I cannot reach out to folks on my own. Now let's dive a little bit deeper and think more about the density of our connections. Mathematically, this means taking the total number of possible connections and comparing them to how many actual connections are made within the network. If we think back on the shapes that McCabe described, the tight knitters are going to have a more dense network than samplers will. In her research, she found that this increase of density seemed to have an influence on the student's academic success. In other words, the people that she studied in this college campus achieved similarly to their friends when the networks were dense. When the network was decidedly not dense, the academic success of individual friends seemed to have very little influence. If this were the case, I'd hypothesize that you have two-ish options if, for instance, you wanted to shift how much you are being influenced by your network to succeed academically. On one hand, you could shift your network. You could go from being a sampler to really building a dense group that is going to hold you academically accountable. Or as another example, you could go from being in a tight-knit group that prioritized partying into someone who has more of a compartmentalized friendship network, giving you a cluster for the weekend and a cluster that supports your schoolwork. On the other hand, you could also shift your activities and set boundaries within the network you already have. For instance, you could connect with your high-density network and make intentional goals together to collectively become more or less studious so that the group's overall influence benefits you. And like always, it probably isn't an either-or so much as a both and more. (music) Density can also help us understand things like the flow of information. Researchers have found that the more dense a network becomes, the more insular it can be. With less dense connections, there are more opportunities for a wide variety of information to enter the friendship system. I kind of think of it like a jellyfish, where the long tendrils can help capture food. Of course, a clownfish can also eat. But a clownfish cannot gather as much food from as far away in a single amount of time as a jellyfish might. And yet again, if we notice that uh, things are feeling too insular or too broad, then we could adapt. Adaptation can include making new relationships, making changes within existing relationships, ending relationships, and making changes within our own personal behavior. Finally, the way people are connected and decidedly not connected within a network can help us understand things like communication, power, and conflict. You may have noticed on your friendship graph people that are within your sphere but would not be in your network if it weren't for their connection to other people. This distance or degrees of separation can also make a group feel more or less intimate. Additionally, a friend network may have a person or two who is highly connected to nearly everyone or people who are barely connected at all. These differences in popularity or centrality shifts who has power and sway within a group by taking into consideration the spread of separation and power may help us to understand communication breakdowns. If you wanted to make changes within this scope, it could include a few different strategies. For instance, you could choose to build direct linkage with people further out in your network, or as another example, You could intentionally think about the way you trust information given to you by particular people and if your interactions are based upon their role within your network. I very strongly do not believe that there is only one right way to do friendship. To me, this means that we can have healthy relationships that meet our needs regardless of the density or shape of our network. We can have a robust group of friends where we have different ties with different folks, some that are strong mutual connections, some that are weak or moderately separated. And in fact, there are benefits and drawbacks from any sort of relationship structure we choose. It is more that if there comes a point in time where it feels like your friendships are not serving you, looking at the way that they shape a network may give you some ideas about changes to make. This is Friendship Matters, investigating the why behind how we make, keep, and end friend relationships. Before I go today, I want to leave you with a note of caution. Not every similarity between you and your friends is an outcome of y'all being friends. I mean, you didn't get race from your friends, for instance. And while that might be a no-brainer, it is important to keep in mind that researchers can't always prove causation. For instance, in a study about anorexia among adolescent girls, it is very clear that there is some sort of correlation happening between being anorexic and having friends with eating disorders. But the study could not conclude if the outcome of anorexia was caused by having a circle of friends or if the circle of friends was created because of a shared behavior. To that end, similarities come in different forms. They are ascribed characteristics such as age or race which tend to be consistent over time. Acquired characteristics like education level or widowhood can change over a lifespan and shared stereotypes and beliefs are known as value-based characteristics. And the way individuals and groups share those similarities can also vary. Sometimes it's a bit of a chicken or an egg sort of thing. Basically, Sometimes people are drawn to others like them. This is often called homophily, and we see that when folks of the same economic status or race group together. This orients networks as things that similar people come together to create. Other times, it is the network, group, or relationship itself that makes people more alike. This perspective suggests that people are similar because they orbit in the same network. In other situations, the order of events leading to similarity may be a bit longer between person and network. Using geography as an example, people with shared interests may go to a place that facilitates that interest and then make a network based on their proximity to one another. Conversely, sharing a geographic space can, on its own, create a likeness in the people there. Yet again, I would argue that it is neither one nor the other. Instead, the sameness that we have within our friendship network is likely a mix of all of these things and more. If we go back to the example of academic success, we could conceive of friends choosing peers based on their commitment to their studies. We could also imagine the presence of studious peers positively influencing the rest of their friend group. Or we could assume it is the shared location of the campus library that led to enough overlap of late-night study sessions wherein a friendship circle grew. The only way to know true causation, of course, would be through rigorous research. I say all of this because I don't want you to start thinking of your friendship networks and immediately decide that they are what is causing you to be unsuccessful or have needs gone unmet. Graph theory and social network analysis are simply tools to make organic and shifting relationships visual in order to start making sense of them. And a lot more analysis than this initial reflection I've gone over today would be required to truly know the impact of some of these things. You definitely could look for research about how friend networks influence job earnings or dating longevity or mental illness. But I, right now, would like you just to reflect on how the influence of sameness and difference within your friendships feels like it's impacting you. Do you feel like the connections you share with the people on your graph Build you up and bring you closer to your goals? Do you feel good or drained or somewhere in between after hanging out with your friendship network? Are there clusters in your network that feel like an echo chamber? Are there clusters that really challenge your ideas of the world? Does the peer pressure you experience from the folks that you have listed is it beneficial to you or? Does that peer pressure tear you down? The point that I am trying to make today is that when we look at our networks, we have the chance to see what is there and what is not. We have the opportunity to think about how different connections or lack thereof influence our lives. And then, when we want to make changes to the way we receive and give friendship, we have a few options. We can choose to build connections in a different way with the hope of increasing or decreasing network density or otherwise changing the shape of our friend graph. We can also choose to strengthen bonds or weaken bonds We can start interpreting friendship dynamics with an analysis of power and by noticing where we are disconnected amongst each other. Knowing our starting point, where we are in this exact moment as a friendship solar system, sets us up to intentionally adapt and change as we need to. This episode of Friendship Matters was recorded and produced by Chamomile Podcasting in Denver, Colorado. All research and music are cited in our online show notes, available on whichever app you're listening, and at our website, thefriendshipmatters.com. Don't forget to share and follow us on TikTok and Instagram at thefriendshipmatters. All rights reserved.